Besides fixing pots and selling soap, these are some of the things that Howard did at one time or another on his rounds, sometimes to earn extra money, mostly not. Shoot a rabid dog, deliver a baby, put out a fire, pull a rotten tooth, cut a man's hair, sell five gallons of homemade whiskey for a backwoods bootlegger named Potts, fish a drowned child from a creek. The drowned child was the daughter of a widow named LaRose. She had been playing at the edge of the creek and slipped on a wet stone and split her head and passed out face down in the water. The current had tugged her farther into the water, carried her for several hundred feet, and then deposited her on a sandbar in the middle of the creek. Howard took his shoes off and rolled up his trouser legs and waded out to the child. When he first bent to lift her, he did so as if to hoist an errant lamb onto his hip, but when he put his arms under the little body and felt its cold and saw its hair trailing in the current and thought of the child's mother standing behind him on the bank, he turned her face up and raised her and carried her as if she were asleep, and he taking her from the back of a wagon to her pallet bed near the wood stove after returning from a trip visiting relatives. The man whose hair he cut was named Mellish. He was nineteen years old and due to be married in an hour and a half. His mother was dead. His sisters and brothers, all much older than he, were married off already and gone to Canada or New Hampshire, or south to Woonsocket. His father was plowing their fifteen acres of potatoes and would have just as soon scalped the boy as cut his hair, because him getting married meant the last helping hands were abandoning the farm. Howard took a pair of shears and a medium-sized tin pot from his wagon. He fitted the pot over the boy's head and cut in a circle around its circumference. When he was done, he took a hand mirror from its wrapping paper and gave it to the boy. The boy turned his head left and then right and handed the mirror back to Howard. He said, I guess that looks pretty smart, Mr. Crosby. The man whose tooth he pulled was named Gilbert. Gilbert was a hermit who lived deep in the woods along the Penobscot River. He seemed not to live in any shelter other than the woods themselves, although some men who hunted in the woods for deer and bear and moose speculated that he might live in some forgotten trapper's cabin. Others thought he might live in a treehouse of some sort, or at least a lean-to. In all the years he was known to live in the forest, never had a winter hunting party seen so much as the ashes from a fire or a single footprint. No one could imagine how a man could survive one winter alone and exposed in the woods never mind decades of them. Howard, instead of trying to explain the hermit's existence in terms of hearth fires and trapper's shacks, preferred the blank space the old man actually seemed to inhabit. He liked to think of some fold in the woods, some scene that only the hermit could sense and slip into, where the ice and snow, where the frozen forest itself would accept him and he would no longer need fire or wool blankets but instead flourish, wreathed in snow, spun in frost, with limbs like cold wood and blood like frigid sap. Gilbert was a graduate of Bowdoin College. According to the stories, he had liked to boast that he had been a classmate of Nathaniel Hawthorne's. Although he would have to be nearly a 120 years old for the rumor to be true, no one cared to refute the claim, 
because they found too delightful to dispel the notion that the local hermit, dressed in animal skins, muttering litanies, as often as not in Latin, and in warmer seasons, attended by a small but avid swarm of flies, which constantly buzzed around his head, crawled over his nose, and sipped the tears from the corners of his eyes, had once been a clean-faced, well-ironed acquaintance of the author of The Scarlet Letter. Gilbert was apparently not his real name, and no one really knew when he had been born, so the people left it at that. People like to speculate and tell stories about Gilbert the Hermit, especially when they sat around their wood stoves on winter nights with a blizzard howling outside. The thought of him out there in the maelstrom gave them a comforting thrill. Howard supplied Gilbert. Gilbert's needs from the world of men were few, but he did require needles and thread, twine and tobacco. Once a year, on the first day that the ice went out of the ponds, sometime in May, Howard rode his wagon to the Camp Comfort Club hunting cabin, itself remote, and from there toted on his back the supplies he knew Gilbert required down an old Indian trail that followed the river. Somewhere along the way, Howard would meet Gilbert. The men would greet one another with nods of their heads. They struggled through the bushes down to the river's edge, Howard with his bundle, Gilbert with his quart of flies and a buckskin bag.